You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. There's, there's people that aren't here that would really like to know um, about this. Pastor Tony is one. I know uh, uh, Joel in Peru, uh, likes to listen to the sermons, uh, services and stuff. He likes to keep up with what we're doing. Even Elias, even Jeswell, um, uh, uh, Chibui in Africa occasionally listens, and uh, they like to know what we're doing. And so this is an opportunity tonight to kind of share a service internationally with them, even though they'll listen to it later. It's not live, but they'll listen to it soon. So deacon ordination. Um, 1 Timothy 3 is where we're going to start. And uh, we can go ahead and read that uh, one all the way through uh, uh, 13. I was looking at 2 Timothy. It starts way different. 1 Timothy 3. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their households well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. So the word bishop or episkopos in the Greek, uh, we'd more commonly call this guy a pastor, elder, shepherd, overseer. But it's just the, the leader of your local church there primarily, the, the caretaker of the sheep. To speak as a pastor, to see your sheep. Um, uh, I've, seen, I've experienced this in our, in our fellowship with some person. Like, oh, let them go. Um, they've just caused a problem. Let them go, man. That's good. Just let them go. But as a pastor, it has a different effect on the pastor who actually cares. There's a difference between a pastor and a hireling. The hireling, he's the filling guy. The pastor, he cares. He's worried about the, the health of the body, the health of the sheep. He's the one that gives them shots and, and shears them every Sunday. So, uh, so but the, the different demo- denominations over the last... 2,000 years have kind of taken these different positions, depending on denomination. They've taken different positions. It's pretty simple. The Bible makes it into about two elders and deacons to run the church. You go to Catholic or Lutheran Episcopal, some of those, they have layers of you know bishops and priests and whatever. You name all this stuff. I don't even know what they're all called. Um, I do, but I have to think about it. The brain's not working overly well this morning or this afternoon, see? But... Um, so this chain of command that's in the Bible this is pretty simple. Christ the head and the pastor and in whatever authority is given to the deacons in their ministry there, that's it. The, the command is Christ. Christ is the head. 
and the rest of us, we do what Christ tells us to do. We allow the shepherd to tell us um, the different things that he tells us as long as they're biblical. And then, and that's it. And so we, we found, if we went back to Acts, and we'll see that in Acts they had a problem. They had all these people coming into the fellowship, and they were trying to figure out some means of administration of all these people. Some were non-Jews. Some were Greeks. Some didn't have the same viewpoint. So there was those, those um, issues of what we would call racism. I, don't, I believe there's only one race. The Bible tells us there's only one, the human race. There's different colors, different ethnicities. So by ethnicities, by birth name, some were Jews, some were Hellenists, some were Greeks, some were different thinkers, right? And so these ones, my thinking's better than yours. It's like the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. My thinking's better than your thinking. And they're both wrong. And so these early apostles, they said, we need some help. We need these, these guys, these guys of good repute, good reputation, that can, and, and men of God that can help with these ministerial tasks. So these positions adopted over time, some of them were to maintain control of people, some of them were just to maintain some sort of administration, just to be able to keep an eye on things or to kind of help keep the machine running properly. But not all of them were biblical or necessarily spiritual. It says of Paul in the, in the very first part of Philippians, it says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So to the sheep and to the shepherds and to the deacons. To all the people. I'm concerned about all of you. Um, I really become more aware of the importance of these two offices as I've had to deal with them both. Um, as a deacon, I was a deacon at another church for quite a few years. I couldn't tell you how long, maybe eight or ten years, maybe. And, and in that position, it, not everything that we did as a deacon body was correct as far as how the Word, uh, the word tells us to, to exist, live, and so on. But it's how they did it. They make it right or wrong, it's how they did it. As far as the Bible went, some of those guys were way off track. They said, we should, we should read monthly the, the one guy. He wants us to read every month or once a quarter the Baptist uh, faith and, and message statement. Well, find that in the Bible. Where's that at? It's not in there, you know. But he's like, oh, no, it's really important for us to understand the Baptist faith and message. We should, we should know it as well as we know our Bible. And I, I think knowing the Bible is pretty important. It's pretty number one. To put anything in comparison with that would be, would be incorrect, I would say. So, and in some churches, the deacon body has an awful lot to do with the management of the finances or, the, or even the hiring and firing of, of pastors and things like that. Our church is not operated that way. Um, that's, not the, that's not the goal of the deacon. We'll have to see what his goal is, but, but first we've got to see what his qualifications are. And finding these guys... As they're described in Acts chapter 2, it says, men filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, men of good report and willing to serve. Finding that guy is hard to find. There's some, there's some other you know, lists here in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, but, but finding those guys, easier said than done. We look in churches and, and there's a lot of good men, but some aspects of the word here disqualify them from being deacon. It doesn't mean they're not good men. Maybe they had a, a bad start Maybe they've had multiple wives. Maybe, they've, maybe they've, they don't have a good reputation in the, in the community because of how they've lived in the past for one reason or another. Maybe he's a drunkard or a, a liar or, or somebody that's been manipulative or 
or something like that. And something like that could keep that man from being a deacon for a long period of time until his reputation has been changed in the community. Like it says in Ephesians, if, you, if you're a thief, then steal no more. In fact, get a job and start giving to the poor. When the thief no longer becomes a thief and he starts to, to have a job and people see him in the work and he begins to give and care for the poor, well, then they're like, okay, he's not the old guy. Maybe his reputation has changed and that door would be open for him to be a deacon. But until he's a man of good report in the community, well, then he's, he's not uh, qualified to be a deacon. deacon. It says, uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and willing to serve. They've got to be the husband of one wife, not given to dissipation, family men. And the list is, is kind of longer. Actually, the list for bishop, I came up with about 18 things um, to be a bishop. And the deacon, he comes after and it says, likewise, deacon. So you get to do that list and more. No, you've got to at least be a part of that. But uh, the list for deacon or bishop doesn't disqualify either a divorced man or even a woman from serving in any role in the church outside of the role of deacon or elder. For a person to sit and wait to be served by a deacon who has some spiritual gift that they're very capable of applying, maybe it's administration or serving or care or help or hospitality or, or, or whatever it is, healing or, or um, ministry of some sort, faith, giving, generosity, maybe it's one of those. For you to wait for the deacon to fulfill that role because he's there to serve you, that's, that's, wrong, te- that's wrong thinking. That, that would actually be sin. Um, every spiritual gift within the body is to be used for the body. So in the body, we have multiple spiritual gifts represented by multiple people, all working together, and in the deacon, serving where he needs to serve, to the poor or the hungry or the widow or the orphan or whatever need that needs to be taken care of. And it says that his goal is so that the ministers can do a better job of ministry and prayer. So he has a role. Go back to Timothy there. Um, In reading that piece of scripture, we see that bishop or overseer listed first. And he has this extensive list. He's like Bishop Goody Two-Shoes, right? If you've got to do all these things to be a bishop, I don't know why I'm a bishop. He must be blameless. I husband of one wife, I only had one wife. Temperate, I try to be sober-minded, of good behavior. Put an extra that one. Hospitable, able to teach. Maybe put a, a question mark on that one. Not given to wine. Uh, we can't count our past against us, right? Not violent. Put a question mark on that one. Not greedy. So on gentle, whatever. Not quarrelsome. Look at the list. It's a, that's a tough list. <laughs> um, only by the grace of God, like Paul said of himself, can God use me in any way, truly. Because I, I, would, I would be ashamed for you to see how I've lived in the past, and especially as a young man, especially in the military days and before. Um, but even as a young married man. But this list is extensive. Like I said, about 18 things. But the very, one, the very first one it's talked, it says he must be blameless. Blameless. And so this is a... This is a um, a thing that other people can see to be blameless. Like you could have, we all got flaws, but to be blameless, that's something. Um, we, can, we can find things to um, jump on people about, but to be blameless, that's a big deal. And it says, likewise, deacons being found blameless, verse 10. To be blameless is a big deal. To be known in a community as blameless. And the other thing I think that's really critical, both of these lists contain these two, not a novice, not a rookie. Blameless and not a rookie. 
And and um, and as we began as Plant Grow Harvest, we we did um, we didn't do everything correct. We didn't do much anything correct. By God's grace, somehow we made it till today. And we we took guys that met some of these qualifications, but not all. And we thought, well, maybe these guys will grow into that. That's not what it says here. It's not a position to be grown into. This is a place of maturity for that man. He's a mature man. He's blameless. He's not a rookie. He's been around the block. He's experienced things. He's prayed for the sick. He's fed the hungry. He's cared for the widow and the orphan in their distress. He's visited the prisoner in their chains. He's done those things. He's witnessed to the lost. He's been an evangelist. He's been a, a faithful member of the body. It says, not a novice, in verse 10 says, let him first be tested. That's where the testing comes. It says, then let him serve as deacons. So with these two men, I can testify of both of them by their testimony, but also by my witness of them here, um, that they are, as far as I know, blameless. I wasn't raised with them. I know that's your dad over there. Um, I know my kids would have a different view of blameless than uh, you might of me. But as far as he's known in the public realm, as far as he's known as a man, I've seen him as blameless. I've seen him be a witness to young people in the schools, uh, Brother Alva, for our other friend, Brother Terry. Um, he's been a witness to the young people here. He was a witness to young people before. He has been a, a, a pastor in pastoral roles in other churches in the past. He has a heart to see people saved. He's been tested. He's seen, the, he, he's seen um, adoption in his life. He's seen orphanage in his life. He's seen parents pass away. Um, he's had experiences, positive and negative. He's had difficulties with family. That's what makes you into a mature person. When we're young, we don't have those experiences yet. I told you before about our pastor, Brother Roland, and a, a solid guy and a great preacher. And I just remember, I've told you this before, but I remember when his brother passed away from um, prostate cancer. And when he came back, his preaching was completely different than when he left. And it was really, I was like, I wonder what happened. And he told us, my brother passed away this weekend. And this and that. So always before, it's, it's one thing to give a, a funeral for, you know, your family member. For me to give a funeral for your family member, that's one thing. To give it for my mother, to give it for my father, that's something different. I got a completely new view, a completely new um, percentage of empathy that I never had before. And that's what happened to him. He became a new a new pastor. He was able to empathize with people. He had been tested. So this deacon or bishop, his individual walk in the public eye, it's critical. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into a reproach in the snare of the devil. I will be honest with you and tell you that for myself, um, I'm not, I'm, one of the things that I fear the most is shaming this fellowship. I really do. I try to be really careful with relationships outside of church. I try to treat people the same regardless of how they treat me. Uh, when I, even if they injure me spiritually or, or whatever, personally. Because I know that the witness that I have out there will reflect the witness I have in here. You know, what? it's important how we are out there, deacons. Um, I had a little meltdown in Walmart one time, and I had to go before the whole church as a deacon 
the very, that was happened on Good Friday, wasn't that good? And on Good Sunday, Easter morning, I was the deacon of the week. I was supposed to pray in front of the whole church. And I told them, I said, I know that that dude from Walmart that I had to throw down with last night, I said, I know he's here somewhere. It's a big church. I mean, you couldn't see everybody in there, right? Sure enough, he was. But I had to, I, I had to humble myself before that because I had shamed the faith and my testimony and the fellowship because of how I acted at Walmart. You ever been to Walmart? Man. <sighs> it was rough. It was a rough day. So, um, so where do unbelievers come from? They come from Walmart. I mean, they come from outside the door of the fellowship. And they're watching you, and you go out there, and like I said, you go out there and you live like hell, and they watch you, and then they come into this church by some, that dude came into my Sunday school class like five weeks later, six weeks later. And I'm going to tell you, God was going to have me talk to this man because his car was parked beside my car in a parking lot. And I, I told the guys, I said, you remember that guy I was telling you about in Walmart? There is that man, you know, I pointed him out. And um, he was a jerk in a Sunday school class. He hadn't changed. But uh, then he was parked right. I mean, God was going to make me deal with that. And I needed to deal with it. And, um, uh, but it's bad. The things that happen out there affect what happens in here. That guy comes from the outside. And he comes into the fellowship. Uh, by the way, he only came at one time in the Sunday school class, just so you, in case you wondered. But he comes in, he goes, that's your Sunday school teacher? I mean, what would he say? I threatened his life at Walmart. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Um, so you've got to be careful. You bring him in, and then he comes from the outside, and he comes in, and he sees this double-faced, double you know, double-tongued um, loser who says that he proclaims Christ, but, but he only proclaims it inside the wall of church. If you're going to live for Christ, you've got to live it all the time. Anyway, so that person that comes in from the outside, he assumes that that's the nature of the church because that's the nature of the guy that they call the deacon of the church. We've got to be very careful. So we talked about from the time we've started, truly, like right off the bat, we're like, man, you know, we saw these, this other deacon body. How can we de develop a deacon body in our fellowship that will be long-lasting and enduring and um, one thing that a church needs to be is, is careful of bringing the wrong man into the deacons, one who is untested or a new believer, because new believers in general fail more than old believers. They've got to learn like a child, just like a little, like a little kid goofs up a lot, and you've got to train them. Um, some men, especially untested men will come and see that position of deacon as a place of personal honor. They chose me and I really got it together. The reality is he's a sinner saved by grace, a fallen man that falls under the righteousness of Christ and that's all that he is. But his desire is to be blameless and upright and to serve. So, it's not a place to grow into. The very souls of men hang in the balance as we come week by week to share the gospel with one another to exhort one another to faithfulness. And we need to be careful of the personalities that we, that we put into those positions of leadership in our fellowship. They're leaders. They're being watched. They may not be leading as in everybody come over here and stand in a line and, and get your meal, but they're leaders in that they're the representatives of a, of a godly man that we need to grow into. They're the representative that young boys see 
young girls see and they say, I want a, a daddy like that man. I want a, a, a husband like that man. I want an older brother like that man. I want to be that man. And I think that's important. Of good testimony, it says, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. He's got to be a proven man. That's why they don't take guys right out of boot camp and send them to Afghanistan. They train them first. They have, give them other experiences. He's not a, a new believer, one that's been tried. He's already dealt with the loss. He's already dealt with the poor. He's already done those things. So you don't need a man in that role that's arrogant or self-serving. And I've found that both of these men are not that way. They might be humorous. They may not be afraid to pick on you. But they're not arrogant. They're very humble. We've got plenty of those arrogant guys in Congress supposedly leading us. And you see how that goes. You don't want arrogant men to lead you. You want confident men to lead you. You want bold men to lead you. But you don't want arrogant men. We don't want prideful men. We want humble men to be our leaders. So we want lovebirds, not vultures. And it says, for a young man to desire to be a bishop, that it's a good thing. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Um, you know, these guys... Uh, people that desire to be a ranger or desire to be in the Boy Scouts, desire to be in the police department, it's a good thing. If their motives are right, it's a good thing. To see a well-disciplined a well bishop, a godly man be a bishop, to be a, a godly man be a deacon, the deacon, he could potentially grow into a bishop. He could potentially grow into a shepherd. I did. You have to be developed. Other older bishops... Older elders, older shepherds, they come along, Tony, Dan Helka, Renee, Elias, Chabui, whoever, and they come alongside and they, and they pull you along and they tell you where you're goofing up, but they do it in a gentle way. And then someday you're developed into this next position. That's a, that's a great thing. It's hard to attain. Um, and you, and you can want it and it not be attainable because of things in the past, and that's okay. doesn't mean you're less of a godly man. doesn't mean you're less usable, but it's a good thing. If I, if I can't reach those things, should I just give up? No, no, no. Keep going. The battle's to the strong. Fortes, fortunas juvat. Fortune favors the bold. Ever forward. Keep going. But for the, for the one that desires that position, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to want to get the, the Navy Cross or the, the Medal of Honor, it's a good thing to want that. Because that means that you're a hero. It means you're the heart, your desire is to save others. Your desire is to be a, a victorious. It's a good thing to desire those things. Not everyone gets it. I spoke to a man recently who was struggling in his walk. He said, I feel so crushed, like I should just give up. I guess I just need to step down from ministry. And he catches himself and goes, or else I need to step up. And I appreciate the deacons and these men that are willing to step up. Um, that man was awakened to his plight just as he was speaking aloud about his weakness. He says, let him first be tested. He was tested, and in his testing he found himself uh, not enough. That's a good thing. That means you recognize where your strength comes from and that God can work through you and, and develop you and, and, and build you. Some churches used to have clubs called Preacher Boy Clubs. And what they do is get these young guys and get them up there. Uh, and hearing some of them, they were bad. They were bad. But that's how they're developed. You, you let them preach first. Maybe the deacons develop the preacher boys. 
they take some young guys under their wing and give them five-minute messages, and they speak before the church, and the, the church encourages them. And even if it's heretical, the, the church is encouraging them to, to better study the Word and better develop their, their, uh, the giving of the Word and so on. But anyway, many of the messages... Um, anyway, to desire to be a deacon is a good thing. So I've gotten to know these men, and I, I truly believe that that them, along with our fellowship, is an excellent fit. I believe that with, just like you that are here tonight, I believe that the Lord has brought you to this fellowship for this time. The people on Sunday morning, the people on Sunday night. I know it's a slightly different crowd. But the Lord brought you here for a purpose. He didn't bring you up here so that you can watch Dale do stuff, or you can watch Jed do stuff, or watch somebody else do stuff. He brought you here to, to get in the game. Um the people on the bench in the pro football game, they're not on the bench because they want to be there. They're on the bench because they're not ready to get in the game. But when they're called up, they jump up and they run in. We've got all these people. We've got a large number of people that are very capable in serving in a hundred different ways here. And a lot of them are sitting on the bench. I'm proud of these men that were willing to, to get in the game. And I pray that you'll see that as a challenge to you to, to get up and get going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with believers. Speak the word in season and out of season. When you lay down, when you get up to your family, to your neighbors, to the people at Walmart. Um, so in these men, I've seen in them a desire to serve. I've seen in them um, good reputations. And I've seen them filled with the Holy Spirit because they're their lives is producing fruit. We don't produce fruit in our own strength. We only produce fruit if the Spirit dwells in us. If we're operating with the Holy Spirit working through us, we can produce fruit. Without, without Him, I can do nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. Right? With, without Him, I can do nothing. Without the Holy Spirit, without the indwelling Spirit, without Christ alive in me, then my work is filthy rags. But with Christ in me, Everything I do should produce some level of fruitfulness. If it's just a leaf, if it's just a bud, or if it's a, a tiny strawberry, it should produce something. And these men are producing. They hold up this standard. The last thing is First uh, Timothy 3.11. says, Likewise, their wives, or poor wives, man, they must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Um, I uh, miss Mary there. Just right from the beginning... I'm not sure about the reverent part. She's pretty frisky, man. She can, she can tease you. She can get you good. But she's got a sweet spirit. She has a desire to serve alongside her husband, desire to serve children, to desire to do whatever she needs to do. And Miss Cindy as well. Um, her encouragement of her husband, how proud she is of her husband, um, the honor that a wife gives to her husband enables him to do things that he doesn't think he can do. When a woman nags and berates and picks and pecks, it takes the man's self-esteem and his confidence and keeps him from doing even the minimal things that he should be able to accomplish. And both these women encourage their husbands in those things. And they're, they're definitely help meets. And it says that they should be reverent. And it says that they should be uh, not slanderers. I've not seen them to be that. In fact, I've seen them to be encouragers, temperate. They got control of themselves and faithful in all things. And so as that, I've witnessed these ladies being exactly that. And on top of, like I said, of those requirements, I've seen them serve alongside their husband and being willing to do whatever it is 
needs to be done. And so in that, I see that the wives as well, the husbands, are qualified for this role. So it's a real honor for our fellowship to have men and women like these as options to serve alongside. There in Acts 6, let's, let's just read it real fast. It doesn't use the word deacons, but that's what these guys are. Acts 6. It says, Therefore, brethren, verse 3, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, good report, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, the business of serving widows neglected in the daily distribution. But in this, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. It says later that all these deacons, Stephen, Philip, Machorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, says they were all spread out except for the apostles because of persecution. And I told the deacons today, um, there is, a, there is a, a payment that you receive as a deacon. And for all these guys, it was martyrdom. And uh, are, are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to give your life for the body? I mean, if you look at all these early church fathers outside of John, who died basically alone, tradition says that they were all, uh, you know, uh, martyred in one way or another. And the price is not a negative either. To be martyred for the faith is to, to sit underneath the throne and say, how long, O Lord? Faithful and true. He says, just a few more minutes. You get a special place in the kingdom to be a martyr. And that's something to consider. So the reward comes at the end, and there's a reward for today, and some of the deacons know what I'm talking about. The reward today is to see fruit amongst the faithful. And you get to see that if you're working as a deacon. One thing about this deacon, Stephen, he, uh, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And he gives the longest preaching message in the Bible outside of one that Christ gave on the Sermon on the Mount. So though it doesn't necessarily say that the deacons have to be able to teach, we're blessed that our deacons are able to teach. And for the most part, they all have at one point or another. Maybe Strong hasn't preached from the pulpit, but, but I've heard him teach before. And I know he can teach, he just refuses to. No, he's willing to. If it came down to it, I'm sure he would. But, but uh, being capable in preaching, it's like, uh, we used to call it dual cool. If you, had your, if you had your scuba bubble and your jump wings, they call that dual cool. It means you could do more stuff. Triple threat, right? And... Um, and we have that with these guys. We have opportunity with these guys to, uh, um, to do abundant work here in the fellowship. So with that, I was going to ask these men, Jed, there's two chairs right inside this door. I was going to ask our two deacons to come forward, our two new deacons, and just we'll put, them, we'll put them in chairs maybe up on the platform right here so that you guys can. Maybe I'll move this so you can see better down through the middle. And we'll put them kind of closer to the middle there. And I would ask that um, Jed and William, Jimmy, who am I forgetting? Myself. And um, if they would come. And I want them to pray individually for these guys. And you can pray as you, as, as you, you sit there. It take just a minute for us to pray over these guys. We want to anoint their hands and their head. And um, have a seat there, fellas. And... Um, And we want to dedicate them to our fellowship. And I want you to know, um, um, 
this is, they would say if you ask them that it wasn't an honor for them, but it's an honor for us to have these men. These are good men. And we're really blessed to have mature men that we can call on to serve in this role. And I'm really, I'm really super excited about you fellows and, and uh, 